The Secrets of Technology is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Technology. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Technology, where we discuss the technology news that's important to you from a uniquely Catholic point of view. And joining me today on the panel are Thomas Sanherjo. Hey, Thomas. Hey, Dom. It's good to be here. And Jack Barazzini. Hey, Jack. Hey, Dom. Folks, I want to tell you about another show on the network you are sure to enjoy called The Catholics of Oz. You can find it wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash Oz. That's O-Z. So let's... <laughs> I have to I say like it in the Australian way. Yeah, it's <laughs> like how you did that. <laughs> yeah. uh, so uh, we've, we want to start off with some feedback from you, our listeners, that we got from our show last time when we talked about AI art, uh, artificial intelligence art, the, the new fad that you might be seeing around there on the the social medias, and uh, we got some great feedback, and I want to start with the first one is from Peter Klein on YouTube, who wrote, your cover image turned out great. That's, I made the cover image for last week's uh, episode using one of these AI art generators, uh, and the the, uh, the prompt was secret of technology. So the uh, he says, the AI is just a tool, nothing else. It does nothing on its own. It initiates nothing. It has to be started and pointed in a certain direction or given certain criteria to satisfy. It never has an idea or a dream. I could go on, but these are enough for me to say, no, the AI is not an artist. It's a really sophisticated techie paintbrush. That's a great point. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that I, was one yeah. of the questions we had was, it could the AI be considered an artist? Um, but that's a interesting perspective. Yeah, I think if if you if you've used Photoshop enough, <laughs> you you know that there's a lot of things that Photoshop can do, but it really does need that person on the other end that's mm -hmm. that's willing to put in the time and the learning curve. And if you look at some of these, you know, mid journey, I'm, I'm into mid journey right now, and mm -hmm. if you look at the way it's used. Um, and if you, when you first start out with it, it's not going to give you anything that you want, but you get better at learning what phrases are going to generate particular mm -hmm. types of art in particular uh, styles that you want. And then you start honing in on those and getting better at, at, at phrasing things correctly for the tool to make something useful for you. I mean, right. it, it's training us like our A ladies and the S lady. <laughs> right. <and> the, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So no, say it this way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I don't understand your commands. Say it the way I want you to say it. <laughs> so our second feedback. Sorry, Dave, I can't do that. But they do Sal. So uh, the second uh, feedback comes from Kayart via email who says, as an artist, nothing frustrates me more than phrases like, I'll just print a copy. Wouldn't that be faster with a machine? I can 3D print that. There's a big difference between made by hand and a copy. How many people travel great distances for a copy? St. John Paul II was not writing about reprints, and uh, Kayart is referring to the uh, Pope John Paul II's letter to artists. Uh, he wrote mm -hmm. a, uh, in 1999 a letter specifically to artists about the theology and spirituality of art as an expression of the, what's good and true and beautiful. Uh, so, yes, you, you're correct uh, on that one, I think. People, well, yes and no. 
I mean, there's a there's a poster thing, and um, I like I traveled a great distance, not a great distance. I traveled into Boston to look at um, prints fr- made from um, um, what's his name, uh, Mount Fuji, the Great Wave, um, Hokusai in the Great Wave, yep. and mm-hmm. he was uh, he was an uh, he made prints, and so there are many of his prints out there. So I, I get we have the point you're making though, Kayar, which is that it's it's not about copies it's about something original made from a a particular vision of a person so uh, Mm -hmm. i get that uh and then the last email comes from dawn who sent an email and uh, says my name is dawn and i've been working in the digital art field for many decades and found this discussion particularly interesting i don't think program generated art will ever surpass real human created art as a soul and keen sense of our god almighty is a prerequisite for creating true and meaningful art Mm-hmm. Yes, agreed. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's that's one of the key points that uh, John Paul made in Letter to the Artists um, about that. I think I think the biggest space that you're going to see a danger of AI art taking over is in concept art. And that's um, I, I'm not sure that's a bad thing necessarily. Sorry, concept artists, um, <laughs> because I, 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 it's it's something that you can iterate and generate and get a lot of really interesting stuff. Now, that being said, Ralph McQuarrie is not something that you can replace in generating ideas for Star Wars. So on the same token, you know, you're going to want a more specific, um, you, you know, if you if you want to branch outside of what is possible or what exists already, you do need that human element. So mm-hmm. even for concept artists, you need to get somebody on board who's got a vision and can cohesively put that vision together into something that's that's usable and that expresses the the mood and the tone and gets it right and is able to then collaborate with the with the human element of the director or the producer or whatever and come to that final agreement of what everything should look like ultimately i think the biggest space that it's going to replace is like motel art and anything like corporate art <laughs> yeah. and textbooks thing like things like that that mm-hmm. are purely utilitarian i think that's going to yeah. be completely automated at some point yeah, less the fine art and more uh, the c- commercial art, like adver- ad uh, art, like art that you see in ad- advertising and all that sort of stuff. Um, if I were a commercial photographer or commercial artist, I'd be a, a little more worried. Not anytime soon. This isn't going to replace you, you know, probably in your lifetime, but the next generation maybe uh, might have some competition. Um, and then the question is, is, is it... it is it just like like uh, Peter said in the first feedback, but is it just another tool? It's just a more sophisticated mm-hmm. tool. So you will still need people operating the tool. So that's, that's true. Well, and you'll still need somebody with a good eye to be able to see whether what the computer has presented is reasonable and usable. Mm-hmm. And then to, to take what the computer presented and polish it up to something that's Mm-hmm. that's better than what it is and i, I think that's where the real magic's going to happen because you'll notice like i, I know with mid-journey if you ask it to make a, an image of people it almost always makes the backs of people so mm-hmm. it'll put like you know you ask it to put a detective in a in a grand ballroom it'll put a detective in a grand ballroom but it's like a silhouette with him facing away from the camera so if you want that human element to it which is kind of funny that that's what it chooses to do it chooses to just do that reversed silhouette but if you want that human element to it you need an artist that's going to be able to turn that figure around and put a face on it yeah Mm -hmm. all these early ai art uh algorithms or whatever the tools they uh 
they're all really bad at doing human faces. Uh, it's kind of yeah. interesting. That's uh, kind of surprising. But they'll they'll get better. They they will. I mean, that's mm-hmm. just uh, they uh, will. It's just time. Excellent. Well, again, thank you everyone for your feedback. We'd love to if you have more feedback on this uh, very interesting question of AIR. Uh, we would love to hear from you, and uh, you could you could send that to us at technology at sqpn dot com. So our main topic for today is an interesting story that was in the Washington Post uh, where the headline is electronics are built with death dates. Uh, let's not keep them a secret. That's the the it's a column. It's a it's an opinion column by their technology columnist. Jeffrey Fowler wrote, wrote this. And he, what he basically says is a lot of the technology today and a lot of technology you probably have, you know, near you uh, ha- is it's the the its death is determined <laughs> predetermined the day you took it out of the box, uh, which is means to say uh, it probably has a battery that's sealed inside it, and that battery has only a limited number of times it can be charged and discharged. Cycled is the term, and uh, and the question is 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 that nefarious? Is it planned obsolescence designed to make us spend more money, or is it? the cost of making technology that's sleek and, uh, you know, small and, you know, pretty to look at or, or what have you. Um, and is, would we be better off with uh, bulkier technology that is uh, with get replaceable batteries and that sort of thing. And it, you know, the, he talks about how it's bad for the environment because we're throwing these things away. Uh, and he kind of, Veers near the question of is it bad for us in a spiritual sense because it makes us consumers of technology, you know, the, it gets us into that upgrade cycle. So there's a lot going on here in this in this story. Uh, what do you all think of this just to start out? I would say that it's kind of a both and situation where I do think companies are definitely incentivized to keep people on the upgrade cycle where like with the iPhone, I don't think the iPhone 13 is significantly different from the iPhone 12 and the iPhone 14 doesn't look like it's going to be any different, but they keep releasing the new version, even though it's pretty much the same thing. Um, But on the flip side, you get things like AirPods where those would not be possible. You, You can't really make that and have it have a user replaceable battery and have it work the way it does and fit the way it does. So I think you really got to pick and choose. I definitely prefer to buy my technology with the thought in mind of how I can use or service it. But with things like laptops, even that's hard now because most of them don't have replaceable batteries. So I think it's kind of a, it's the nature of technology getting smaller. And um, even like if you compare like a Commodore 64, you can open that up and you can replace the caps yourself and do all sorts of user servicing. And people do that with these 45 year old computers, but with something like a MacBook where it's basically a system on a chip to get a laptop that small and that powerful you can't there's not really a way you can make that where it's user serviceable it's just the nature of how small transistors are now yeah yeah i think that um i would love to say yes let's do this let's fix this problem but at the same time uh i like how small my items are i like how quickly they recharge um i like how cool they stay that's another thing that's uh, a really big deal with a, a user serviceable battery or even even just turning it back into you know i mean there, there are a lot of companies that could say, well, we'll replace the battery for you. Um, but even that, it, you're going to cause damage because of the way it's built in the factory. Everything is to such tight specification that taking it apart and removing a piece and then placing another piece back in 
is just going to cause a, a massive amount of damage to the system and they can't promise that they're going to be able to hand it back to you in the same condition that they got it in. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's tough. I wish, there was a, I wish there was a better way to recycle some of these things or that we were using less toxic materials. The, those two things, I think, would make me much happier about turning the technology over and saying, okay, well, we're just going to, we're going to recycle whatever's there and then, you know, move on to the, and, and give you a new piece of tech that's also going to be recycled when its life cycles ended. Apple's made a big deal about its recycling robots. Like it's got, it has these facilities where, you know, uh, iPhones come in and it takes it apart and it's, you know, it, it takes the, the screws and puts them all over here and all, all the bits and pieces. That's not a hundred percent solution. There's always going to be some waste, some bit that can't be reused. I mean, that's just a fact. I'm pretty sure the glass can't be reused. Um, on the other hand, uh, one of the things that Fowler says in his article, he talks about like, you know, hey, look, it, it is possible to to do this with user replaceable. Like GoPro cameras have user removable batteries and they're waterproof. Uh, Samsung's Galaxy Buds, which are their version of their AirPods, they have batteries that are comparatively easy to pop in and out. Uh, he says comparatively, which Yes, well, compared to AirPods, anything is easier. Uh, he, he references the framework laptop, which has a bunch of modular upgradable parts. But I'm like, yeah, but all of those devices, maybe not the GoPro per se, but all the other ones make huge compromises to do mm-hmm. that. And do we want to make those compromises? Like the framework laptop yeah, it's got mo- like modular upgradable, but it's bulky and it doesn't have the same battery life or the same amount of p- processing power as as a MacBook does. I mean, you open up if you ever open up a MacBook, like especially like a MacBook Air, there's a there's a like a tiny like smaller than your iPhone motherboard. Like it's maybe not that small, but maybe smaller than a, like a, than a Magic Trackpad. That's the the motherboard, and then the rest is battery. And if in one of the things Apple said early on when it stopped putting user uh, replaceable batteries in was we don't we you know all of that hardware that allows you to swap it in and out is a lot of bulk and you lose a lot of battery power by adding in all that bulk so we just throw the battery in there and fill the space with battery and you know I mean I've done it on previous computers of mine I've I've replaced batteries when they went bad I've replaced broken screens. It is not for the faint of heart necessarily. Uh, so yep. it's not impossible to do that in a lot of these things, but I, I, I do feel bad like it, like having to throw out AirPods that are only a couple years old. Like my wife's uh, Apple Watch is it's five years old. So we've had it for a while, but it the battery is dying by the end of the day. And there's no way to replace the battery in an Apple Watch. You know, when the new Apple Watches come out, I'm probably going to be buying a new one for, her, you know. Um, and it's not just the high tech stuff, low tech stuff. Like my, I have a Philips Sonicare toothbrush that I got four years ago. That's starting to go. It, it, I noticed it's not actually, you know, running like it was before. And I looked it up on Amazon. I bought one four years ago and four years before that and four years before that. Mm. And it's like, Oh, <laughs> I guess they last four years then. So that's, that's what they're designed for. Well, and, and I think that's, that's the thing is that these companies know what the, what the life cycle is too. And, and the, the article, the more you dig into this, the, the real point of the article is for this information to be given to us. 
And and that's and I I think that's a really good and significant idea that companies need to start notifying their customers and their consumers of the products what that life expectancy is because you know I, I'm a person who'll drive it drive a car into the ground right I will I will continue going well past the time that that car probably should be driven anymore and in some cases it's lost me money there has there has been at least at least two of the cars that I have owned. I have lost money on that because I kept driving them past the point where the repairs were more expensive than it would have been to just buy a new car. And part of that was obstinance. Part of it was a was a desire to uh, reduce waste and to, to, you know, use something that I already have that's still effective. But it ended up being more wasteful because I didn't know where that break even point was. And sometimes you can find that out and sometimes you can't it just depends on you know kind of where you are in the life cycle of that of that vehicle but you can't know that with technology and it can be frustrating when you've got something that you're like okay i just spent this much money on it and i'm budgeting for the next six years of owning this thing i'm going to save up to buy the next one and after four years it dies and and now you're out that ability to buy the next thing because you were planning on having two more years to be able to save up for that piece of tech and you can't. Uh, so it would be nice to have that, especially if the if the companies do have this information as readily available as they do. And, and they do. They know exactly what the, the charge cycle on these batteries is. And then that way you can make an informed decision as a consumer and say, OK, I'm going to save up for four years. If it lasts longer than that, I'll save a little more and get a, you know, maybe a slightly better one the next time that I go in to buy it. I think one thing, though, um, is you kind of see the people who the people who care about charge cycles and getting the most out of their devices and using them as economically as possible are also the people who will go on iFixit and look up how to replace the battery in their MacBook and look up how to use or service their stuff. Whereas the majority of people, even if they were given the option of user replacing their batteries, like you could do that with the older Samsung phones. I would bet that 99% of the people who just got the phone with their contract traded in at the end of two years, even if the battery is still fine and just got the next phone. And so for the people who this matters to, they're already aware of that kind of information. Whereas everyone else is just, I want my phone to work and then I'll trade it in when the new one comes out. We're in a consumer culture. I mean, this is more mm-hmm. than just tech. I mean, if you're, if if we we throw things away when they break, not like not my parents' generation, you know, the 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 pre boomers, uh, so greatest generation, I suppose they are. Um, something broke, you fixed it. Like you didn't, you like if if my TV breaks, I'm not trying. I'm not going to try to fix it. Like this just does nothing for me to fix. I, <laughs> uh, you know, if if my dad's TV broke. 40 years ago, he called the TV repairman. There are no TV repairmen anymore. Like they don't, they don't exist. And so we, we throw things away when they break and, or, or, or just don't work the way we, they used to. And we, we buy new ones. You know, Jack, you mentioned like the, the upgrade cycle, the yearly upgrade cycle, like the iPhone 14 is not going to be much better than the iPhone 13. And the iPhone 13 was not much better than the iPhone 12. But if you wait a few years, that incremental betterness, (laughs) to coin a word, um, the iPhone of 13 or 14, much better than the iPhone 11. I mean, there's a huge jump there or the 10 or nine or whatever, you know, going back. So, um, you know, it does, it, it is worth waiting, but yeah, these companies have been kind of, I bet Apple would love for us to stop 
you know, pushing them to come up with new, new, new every 12 months, because that's not how innovation works, right? Innovation doesn't work on a schedule. Uh, it, it, it works, you know, how we, you know, the human brain and in, 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 in ingenuity works, but they have to come up with something. And so then we get these meh upgrades that they have to market to us. Right. Because you get you get these different tech sectors where the technology peaks, like laptops have peaked, tablets have peaked, phones have peaked. The next big thing is like wearables. And then when Apple finally decides to make a foldable phone, that's going to be the next like actual interesting thing they can do in terms of moving forward. But like that's just how you got to make the shareholders happy, I guess, and release something every six to 12 months. Even the software really has peaked. It's cameras like cameras are the big deal right now. And, um, and like you said, wearables, those are those are our next two really big things. I mean, cameras are the only thing that they can keep improving on. And, and they've really even gotten to the point with that where you just can't physically make a camera any better. You have to upgrade the software for it. And right. that they could just push out as an update if if we're honest, you know. Yeah. Well, and, you know, you can put more lenses on the back because at some point the entire back of the phone will be lenses. It's a lens. Uh, uh, yeah. I mean, like a couple of things like the. With the watch, the wearables, you know, more sensors, more health data, more like health monitor, constant health monitoring, which is a whole nother topic we need to probably discuss at some point because that's that can be good and bad. Um, I have lived experience with that. Uh, but having more sensors, uh, keeping track of your like a continuous tracking of your glucose levels for diabetics or a continuous tracking of your heart, which has Save, proven to have saved lives you know the, the, so that stuff is good um there, there is room to grow in there but you're right like with a phone like it's really you know what can we do with it like so we 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 put our you know the the, the new thing is putting our identification like our, our driver's licenses into it is another the big area they're trying to get into and making the phone this central hub for your life which frankly is a little scary because what happens if you lose your phone or it breaks and i don't like if I have a if I have my you know driver's license in my wallet, that's it's my wallet. You know, it's separate from my phone. I don't my wallet doesn't lose battery charge. You know, <laughs> you know that sort of thing. So it, you're right that it, we've kind of reached peak. A couple other areas where we could look for newer innovation is uh, the AR VR. You know the uh, the the glasses um, and cars. I think this there's a huge disruption coming in cars. Uh, which again is good and bad. Uh, you know, the 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 more sophisticated they become, the less they become those things that we could work on ourselves. Like the, the shade tree mechanic I, that I've talked about before. So it's a balance. Yeah. So one thing I want to point out is if you do want to know the battery health of your iPhone, there is a way to see uh, the charge cycles. If you go into uh, the um, settings app and you go under battery, and then this, on the iPhone, there should be a battery health area and it will show, you know, maximum cap battery capacity relative to when it was new. So when it's new, it's 100 percent and maximum capacity decreases over time. My phone is is almost a year old and it, I'm at 99 percent. So, you know, it's still pretty healthy. Um, so uh, the iPad doesn't have that for it, which is interesting because I was looking. Uh, I think I don't I have my MacBook over here, but I'm not going to go get it. But I think you can also see charge cycles there as well. You can. OK, probably in the um, uh, under the Apple menus about this Mac system profiler. Uh, there's a, there'll be a battery subsetting in there and it will tell you 
but to to the point in the article, this stuff isn't up front and it's, you know, it's not there when you're looking to buy and that sort of stuff. And uh, I could go for that. One thing that was fun about the article, Jack, that I thought of you is uh, he mentions Casey Neistat, the YouTuber who back in 2003 with his brother did a, uh, um, a, a viral ad of the viral video of them spray painting on iPod ads around New York city. The uh, uh, iPod battery is not user replaceable after 18 and, and dies after 18 months or something along those lines. And it's like, cause they, cause the article kind of goes into the whole uh, iPads are not, you, you were early devices that, could not be uh, fixed. And I'm like, Oh, Jack would say that's not true. Right, Jack. That is absolutely not true. You can see right here. You got your little clip. You just pop it out. There you go. <laughs> Jack showing us on the video that, uh, yeah, his, uh, an iPod he's got right there. Yeah. I mean, of course it, it requires a little bit of knowledge. You got to dig around on the internet a bit and you got to, you know, be a little fearless and popping the thing open, I guess. But it's possible. And a lot of the stuff yeah. that we're told that we can't fix or, you know, swap out a battery, it's not just it's not true. Some things, yes, your your ear, your AirPods and your uh, Sonic Hair toothbrush, those are not use replaceable batteries. But a lot of other stuff, yeah, Mac, um, not Mac, iFixit is a great place to go for learning how to fix tech. And uh, Apple, actually, this is more for the suppliers, but they do sell first party replacement parts now so if, if you're feeling brave you can pop open your iphone and replace the battery it's really hard but they give you the parts yeah. now yeah no i mean take it take it to a professional yeah <laughs> that's right, right. That's, that's something i won't even do and i'm i'm like i'm mr tinker you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> right. stuff apart all day but you know I, I, with the phone I, I i'll do it with a laptop uh most likely but with a phone everything's so compact and so tight I wouldn't touch the insides of it, honestly. If you have trouble refolding a map, like a, a paper map, into the into a, yeah. its original, <laughs> then you're not going to want to do this to a phone. <laughs> yeah. Although I will say that uh, my uh, my first uh, tech repair was actually resoldering the power button on my Galaxy S2 oh, back wow. in my day, and that's just because I was poor and I couldn't afford a new phone. So, <laughs> right. mother of necessity, I guess. Yep. Got to yep. make it work. Yep. <laughs> So a, a related headline to this one, uh, I just had to throw it in there, was uh, this story, this uh, Substack story, where uh, this guy who's a fight to repair com. So this guy's really into this right to repair stuff. But he talks about this Epson printer problem where certain Epson printers will give a message that it has reached end of life. And Epson says that's because there are these sponges inside their printers that absorb excess ink. So when the printer is printing and it's any ink, you know, comes off the uh, the ink head, um, it absorbs it, ex the extra ink. And uh, they so it says they get full. And so the printer, you can either replace them. But that's so expensive, and that's a, the, that came up in the other article as well, uh, that you're probably just as well just to buy a new printer, of course. Um, but they they brick the printer for you. Like, they, you can't use the printer anymore. And then, they, you know, as this guy's dug into it, it's like there are lots of YouTube videos of people taking these apart, replacing the sponges, and the printer prints just fine again. There's no there's no reason they, could, they couldn't allow people to do this. It's an artificial limitation. Is it illegal? Probably not. It might be deceptive. They, they, he talks to several different um, uh, legal experts, and some say it, it, 
it one says it's it's illegal outright. Others say it's probably not illegal, but they might be you know on the in the gray area about telling people this stuff up up front. So yeah, it's definitely immoral. I feel like yes, yeah. <laughs> well, it, it, but it's one of those things where they're going to sit down and crunch the numbers, and the lawyers are going to sit down and crunch the numbers, and a class action lawsuit is not going to amount to enough to to be. I mean, as an end user you're going to get two cents, you know, that's, that's what the class action loss it's going to amount to. So it's really not, it's not going to be a big win. It's not going to really even smack the, the printer uh, company on the wrist because they make, that's how they make money. That, that's how they sell. Um, you, you think ink's expensive. Well, ink is expensive because they sell the printers for, you know, pennies on the dollar that it takes mm-hmm. to make them. Right. Yeah. And they all do it. I don't know if, um, you guys talked about this on a previous episode or anything, but it reminds me of that story that came out recently about a BMW yes. artificially bricking their uh, functions of the car. That just makes me so angry. If you're yeah. selling me a piece of hardware, <laughs> I should be able to use it. Like, right. Stuff like that's just ridiculous. Uh, Talk about the subscription service to, to the... Yeah, to the, yeah. Car, to the seat heaters. $18 a month for a seat heater. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> that we had a good dis- a good discussion on that and it, it is it's it's maddening a little bit like i have a i have an hp printer they all do it right? like i was saying and i have an hp printer that does a ink subscription so the so you don't you don't buy separate cartridges you subscribe to a service and they automatically send you ink as you need it and you just pay a low monthly fee like i don't print that much and i'm like i'd rather just buy the cartridge i'm i'm getting close to saying I'm not going to I'm I'm going to get rid of this printer because there's no way to do it otherwise like it has to be on the subscription that's that's the thing but I'm so close to saying I'm going to I'm I'd rather buy a printer that I can put cartridges in that I've purchased uh, because I print so little on this that I'm pay, I'm paying even more for ink than I normally would you know, for overpriced ink in the, in the first place. So yeah, it's, it's so convenient. It's convenient <laughs> for you. <laughs> yes. It's just so convenient. It, it's uh. been this arms race between print, the printer manufacturers and the consumer, like expensive ink cartridges. I'll buy third party ink cartridges. Oh, we'll put a special chip that, that only comes on our ink cartridges that, that the printer has to recognize. Okay. I'll refill the cartridges. Oh no! Now we'll program the chip to know when it's been refilled. Like, it's just crazy. Well, and 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 the way they the way they justify these things to themselves is the is the really difficult part to swallow because it's a bunch of people sitting around in a room going, "But well, we want the best quality for our users," and so you know we we can't have them using low quality ink and then blaming our printers for things going wrong. It's like, I, I, yeah, but. We're already mad at you, (laughs) right? We already hate you guys. It's not like it's not like we're going to get any get any worse by saying, oh, I put the I put the third party ink in and it was awful. Right. (laughs) So this has resulted in me just eliminating paper from my life as much as possible. I don't even own a printer. (laughs) (laughs) I know. Well, my kids, the school (laughs) scouts preaching Mm -hmm. off. uh, I, I do all my crossword puzzles on my iPad. But my wife still insists on doing it on paper. That's just that's just one one area where I still have to print things. Uh, anyway, um, but I mean, in the in the bigger scheme of things, the grand scheme of things is the the spiritual aspect of this consumerist mentality where we're constantly consuming the these goods, and it's not good for us. It's not good for us to 
to to be using up the resources of the world. I'm I'm not I'm not a big green you know tree hugger uh, you know, I, but I love the planet and I know that resources are finite because you know uh, it the world is finite and and I know the damage that mining a lot of this stuff does to to places and to people, and so that that makes me feel bad. I, like every time I I throw stuff into the trash like this electronic waste in the trash because I can't use it anymore it kills a little part of my soul, <laughs> you know? And, and I just, I do not like that. And I wish we had a way to, to uh, we need to do better. Let's put it that way. We need to do better as a society and certainly as these corporations to, to, to turn that around. And I, I just, that's, that's my two cents on it. So uh, I think that's all we have on that one for now. So let's, uh, before we move on to our headlines, I want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of technology, including Laura R., Mary Ellen R., Robert B., Alfredo M., and Elliot J. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue The Secrets of Technology and all the shows at StarQuest. And you can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. So our first headline this week is called The Batting Lab. The Bad News Bears Meet AI? Uh, which you I, you got to be like 45 to know what the Bad News Bears is, I think, at this point. Uh, but, uh, J- Jack, you, were you familiar with the Bad News Bears before? I, I'm aware of it. I've not seen it, though. Okay. Oh, man. I've seen it. Yeah, okay. I've seen it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I get the reference. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, 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 Jody, um, what's her name? She was in contact. Oh, um, Jody Foster. Jody, Jody Foster. Foster. As a child actor, wasn't it? So you know it's <laughs> quite an old movie. Anyway, distractions aside, uh, the article talks about this the company SAS, which is a big data company, uh, you know, big, you know, um, business consulting data computing company, uh, has this new thing called the Batting Lab, where it's it's an initiative that they're using to kind of bring STEM to kids. And uh, it, and it's really designed, it, it reaches out to Little League ball players, like softball and baseball players, and brings them in and shows kids like 12, 13, 9 to 12 year olds, I think they said, uh, they analyzes their batting swing and gives them pointers. And it's not really about necessarily about the you know, making kids better um, athletes, you know, better baseball players. Uh, but it, the the most important thing is, is that it's uh, teaching them about the importance of data and, and data analytics and helping them make decisions in the world. You know, that sort of idea. So uh, I, some people react to this as, oh, this is more of the over the top, uh, you know, People too into kids sports stuff. Um, you know, my coach gave us a roll of quarters and sent us to the batting cages. And that was good enough for me. Using computers to analyze kids batting swings is, is overly obsessive. Other people says, no, no, it's really about education. What, what do you guys think of this? Again, it's a tool. I think it pro- could probably go either way. I could imagine some very over the top little league coaches who would analyze this the way the coaches like watch the i'm kind of thinking of you know them watching the old like reels of the football games back in the day uh, that kind of thing but i think as it stands it's an innocuous tool that gives you some interesting data so i don't see a problem with it see you know had you given me given me something like this as a kid i might have been much more interested in baseball <laughs> just, just in all honesty like the the I, i'm growing I'm, I'm watching stuff today with my kids and i'm like 
I wish I had that information when I was a kid, you know, like, like you can do, you can do batting averages. And so I was really into that kind of thing where, you know, you can look at the back of a, of a, of a card and look at the batting average for somebody as they progressed along the years and stuff like that. But nowadays, like they can tell you where the pitcher pitches the ball the most. And, you know, they have the little, the strike box and how close the pitcher is to the strike box and all that. And it's all like on screen. So you can see it data wise and it makes everything make so much more sense and be so much more interesting <laughs> to me, you know, like the, the, having the mathematical and visual components of everything. So yeah, I, I, I like the, I like the statement that they include in here. One 11 year old uh, explained on today's show, there's diagrams and charts and graphs to show us what part of our swing has the most room for improvement. I'd say they're tricking us to do some math. A little bit. <laughs> and, and, you know, I mean, that's accurate. That's that's, that's yeah. exactly what it is. But uh, but it's great. It's it's a good it's a good use of uh, of something that a kid is interested in to expand their interest into other areas as well. You know, one of the execs from SAS was uh, saying that it, th- their idea was to not to get to turn kids into data scientists or to you know, want them to become data scientists, but to teach them that data. How did she put it? I should have written it down. Something like that data is true, that data is important when making decisions. And I, and I kind of was thinking like, yes, data is one component of a good decision, but it's not everything. And I think that might be a trap we as a society are in danger of falling into is thinking that data alone, facts, quote unquote, right? Because that we're all about facts and misinformation these days that facts alone are the means by which we make decisions in business and life, you know, that sort of thing. But it's not data is just one component, right? Right. Am I on, on target there? Yeah, I definitely agree. And I would, and to um, what you were talking about, Thomas, with all the, like the analytics that you get on screen now, when you watch sports to me, that almost turns me off because I like to just watch the game and watch the athleticism and watch the people play the game. I don't need like graphs and charts showing the exact, all that exact information. Like to me, it's just distracting. I'd rather than have nothing on screen. And see, I, th- I think that's, I would love for that stuff to be optional. Like I, yeah. I, I can totally see where people, where it bothers people, but you know, like I, like I, when I go to a baseball game, I bring a, one of the charts that, you know, like you, you keep track of who got on base where like that's, that's the way I engage with baseball. That's and it's just what I do, you know? And so it's, I, I would love to see more areas where we start adding these options in. And that's where I think, you know, Dom, you were saying that, that like AR and VR are kind of the next steps of things being really important. I would, I would love to see that. That would be something that's phenomenal. You, know, you, you put on your VR or your AR glasses, you go to a ball game oh. and all of that same information is available to you. As as what you're seeing on the on ESPN, yeah, and it's just coming up, you know, while you're watching the game. That to me would be phenomenal, and I know I know that would annoy the heck out of a lot of people, but for me, it's cool to have the option, it, though. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, that's one of the things I was thinking about with Apple's Apple TV Plus uh, baseball broadcast. It's got the rights to some Friday night baseball, which I don't feel like they've taken advantage of because they could be using that to do all kinds of interesting stuff like this. And making it optionally available, using the technology to for the people who want to see all of the nitty gritty date analysis and details, make it available for the people who don't care, you know, then just leave it off. It doesn't you know, they don't have to see it. Uh, so, I, yeah, I I agree. I, baseball, I, it's interesting they chose baseball for this because baseball is a sport that really 
is a data nerd sort of sport. Like, like the kid says, like the, uh, they're making us do math, like mathematicians love baseball, but it's also an art, an artistic sport in one sense. There's, there's a lot of poetry in baseball and a lot of, uh, you know, writers who've written, you know, about it from a more, uh, you know, artistic standpoint, you don't get that as much with like football or basketball or soccer, but, but baseball really has this reputation partly because it's slower. It's not as frenetic as in other sports. And, and, and that sort of thing you know, is this, it has time to breathe. Um, it's a thinking man sport. It is right. It's got that <laughs> reputation and it's, and there's a lot of data and you use that data to analyze and understand what's going on in the game. I, I get that. Yeah. But I, I like the idea. At first, I was a little, uh, to be honest, I was a little put off by the, the the batting lab and putting kids in a batting cage with the computer analysis of the swings. But as I dug into it, I'm like, oh, no, I see what they're doing. And, yeah, they're they're tricking them into liking math. So I'm okay <laughs> yeah. with that. Hey, that's that's what you do, man. You know, you take something the kids like and you go, hey, did you know <laughs> there's this that there's this thing? <laughs> oh, yeah. My, my son has <laughs> just started a uh, programming with Minecraft class. Oh, nice. Nice. There and you go. See, which, that's the way to do it. Now everybody, all the kids are now playing with Minecraft these days, but uh, but he's going to learn how to program. So that's 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 the key. Um, well, even my four-year-old the other day, he comes up to me and he asks, what is a scorpion? It's got crabs, claws, and like legs like a spider. And then it's got the stingy tail. And I'm like, we have an encyclopedia. And so I grabbed the encyclopedia yeah. for him, handed it to his sister and said, find him a scorpion. Tell this man what a scorpion is. Because it was in Minecraft, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's, yeah that's, 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 looking at, so, <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> Great. Uh, all right. So our next headline uh, is another tale of a, a badly behaving tech company. Uh, Uber this time. Not one of the social media ones, but Uber. This is the old Uber, not the new Uber. The old Uber under its previous uh, CEO, Travis Kalanick. Uh, so they apparently had a kill switch on their network uh, that they used to when whenever government regulators in, in, in a jurisdiction, usually overseas, would show up at their offices, they would... Uh, implement the kill switch in which it disconnected all of the local computers from the the company network and then um the uh, and even i think shut off uh, certain certain laptops like totally uh, uh i don't know if it bricked them but it but it shut them down so they couldn't be oper- uh, operated um and they all of this comes out of a trove of emails and documents that a, a former employee released made public to show what was going on in the company back in the in the uh, the uh, Travis Kalanick era of Uber when uh, there was this big battle where they were disrupting the taxi industry, which was heavily regulated in most countries. Uh, and they were coming in and upending all of that, uh, which, you know, you, you, their opinions differ on whether that was a good thing or a bad thing. But what do you think about this idea of a network kill switch? Is that seem like it should like maybe be a standard operating procedure that you, sh- you should have a, deploy a a switch to shut things down so that they only can, they have to ask for the things they, that they have those search warrant for. What do you, what do you think of this story? I, I mean, I agree with that. on on principle just because I don't trust authorities to get things right all the time, (laughs) but it also does kind of feel like if you're thinking that much about it, then you are worried that you're kind of skirting the law to begin with. So it's kind of like a, it's a good idea, but it's also, 
what criminals tend to do at the same time. So <laughs> I, I see it from both sides. <laughs> okay, now hold on, because I have a kill switch on my personal computer at home. But that's it's more of like a it's more of like a project. Like I have I have one of these nifty um, keyboards that has USB jacks underneath and in the back of it, mm-hmm. and I keep a USB drive in one of them that runs when when the computer loads it runs a command that the computer recognizes and then says okay well you can you can load so if i just pull that thing out my computer's not loading up and i've i've contemplated even going so far as to make it so that it like actually runs a um, you know format command to just kill the drive but then i'm too afraid of like pulling the usb drive out by accident (laughs) yeah (laughs) you know (laughs) there goes my computer yeah Uh, but you know and it was one of those things that i I was like huh that would be an interesting thing to try and make to just try and you know to to make happen Mm -hmm. now seeing that a company does it with all of their devices that's a little bit different that's like you've you've put a lot of thought into this knowing that things are going to happen yeah if you dig into this document enough, you realize that kind of what they were going for was um, they were upending the taxi industry. And part of what they were worried about is that they were going to have someone come in, review what was going on, and then try and figure out how they were disrupting the, tra- the taxi industry. And to take the information that they gathered to say, well, they're doing it in a very targeted way. And, and it's just that it's kind of business as usual, that that's what, that's what they were doing is that they were trying to figure out the best routes and the most often gathered times. And they were a little concerned about that information being gathered and then handed back off to other uh, companies. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so it was more of a, a, it was more of a corporate espionage defense than it was necessarily like a an avoid the authorities defense it just so happened to be triggered off of an authority uh search it feels like this is a it's a good thing done by bad people <laughs> situation right. yeah. you know where I, I you know a different company different people i'd be like yeah sure this is the normal thing you have a, a system where you might have you don't you know what you might be in a country where Corruption in the in government is a little more common and there's a little more like, you know, passage of money and information between powerful taxi lobbyists or something and and, you know, a government regulator. And so you want to protect your company. I So I kind of get that. Um, they have a they have a manual called the Dawn Raid Manual, which seems a little overly dramatic. Uh, <laughs> but but they, they point out several times throughout the article that. The no one, no one, none of the executives, the company itself have never been uh, accused or indicted or uh, you know, violating any laws that n- none of this is illegal or uh, just in violation of even regulations that they always handed over information when asked w- with a valid search warrant or the equivalent of such in whatever legal jurisdiction they were in. You know, it's just we want to do this in a ordered way, which, frankly, I'm okay. Like the idea of of legal authorities bashing down a door, taking you by surprise, and taking all your things when you know, I it should be you know. I get you're trying to prevent people from deleting information, but there's also an element of we're we're bullying people into accepting this. And if if you're a, if you're small enough, you just you just take it. But if you're big enough, like a big company you can defend yourself against it. And so I'm, I'm kind of on Uber's side on this one, frankly, the article makes it seem like Uber's the bad guy, but in this case, I kind of feel like I'm on Uber's side. 
Yeah, and and when you when you talk about a situation like that too, all they have to do is stand over someone's chair. You know, three agents standing behind you know Jane's chair as she's sitting there at her uh, with with her computer open, and they say, "Well, your computer's already open. Could you just pull up this document for us? It's not really a big deal. We just need to see this piece of information." What's she supposed to do? You know, <laughs> like, right, right. You know, three yeah. agents standing there, you know, breathing down your neck, asking you to open a document, and you're supposed to say no as the employee it's it's much easier to have the company just shut everything down and say no i cannot access the document because everything's off <laughs> uh, because i physically can't yeah because i think they might say to her you know look if you don't give us the document we might have to take you in for more questioning because it sounds like you know and what's this poor employee supposed to do okay here <laughs> so yeah that is a good point it does kind of it takes the onus off the individual employees and just it bumps it all the way to the top. So if you need the information, you got to go to the people who are really in charge of it. Right. Mm -hmm. Got to talk to the lawyers. That's yep. That's what they're paid for. So uh, our last headline is actually, I, I kind of, uh, I didn't realize it. Like I chose two right in a row that were so, so dystopian. <laughs> Robo taxis. <laughs> Robo taxis. Uh, they're, they're related. So GM's got this cruise auto autonomous vehicle that they're in. It's a, it's part of a taxi service, like you mentioned, a robo taxi service that they've developed. And uh, no, so it doesn't have a normally it doesn't have a driver. And there's been these reports that they've been getting into accidents. Like within the first 30 days, there was a number of accidents involving these cars. Like, like one they start off talking about is just like it, it was making an unprotected left turn, detected a, uh, a vehicle stopped in front of it and stopped in the middle of the intersection. They got smashed by, by another car driven by a human being. Um, and it, it was probably that the other car, the human, the human driver was uh, driving too fast and that sort of thing. But still it's, it's a part of a, uh, an interesting pattern and it's part of this bigger concern of are are we ready for autonomous vehicles driving around on our streets? Um, what, what do, what do we, you know, what's our society, gonna need to think about with this is this a is it precipitous are we moving too fast what do you guys think of this i think that this story without a similar data set with a similarly sized taxi company over the same time period looking at what kind of wrecks they got into without something to compare it to this really doesn't mean much to be honest like i feel like unless you can compare it against that same kind of thing with people then i know it could be better it could be worse right Right. There, there was one incident that they mentioned where apparently a bunch of these cars. So San Francisco is one of the first places to do it. So there's a bunch of them in San Francisco and uh, there was a server outage somewhere. because You know how that happens. And all of all of the autonomous ca uh, taxi cars, the uh, the Chevy Bolts as part of the cruise service stopped wherever they were. In you know, in the middle of the city, in the middle of driving lanes, caused chaos throughout the city, um, which I suppose is better than them like driving, deciding to drive at top speed, <laughs> crashing True. into stuff. Right. Like stopping <laughs> is a better is a better a failure, uh, 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 fail fail safe as opposed to uh, the other option. Um, but yeah, I mean it's that that regular taxi drivers are not all just going to stop in the middle of the street unless they're going to have a they're they're on strike or something but um, i was about to say are they are the cars trying to unionize <laughs> right right <laughs> it's uh it's it's kind of um it's it's going to be an interesting transition that we're going through with autonomous vehicles um i can see the advantage of having driverless vehicles but getting from here to there 
I don't know. What do you think? Again, what do you think? I think there's going to be a lot of hiccups, but I ultimately, I think we're going to end up with a good system. And I, and this is, this is something that I really, I truly believe in this happening in a, in a positive way that really does work. I think that a lot of human drivers driving in downtown areas like this are going to have to learn to how to drive around these autonomous cars. And it's going to make the human drivers better because I think the autonomous cars are, are going to be better drivers, but something like this, where they, they couldn't connect to a server. Um, that's something that they have to figure out. And that's, it's, fortunately here it doesn't seem like it was really much more than just a headache for drivers like it didn't cause massive damage or anything like that so that's good they've already put some of the right fail safes in place like you were saying but what's going to end up happening is we're going to have these transit systems that are operated from a central hub or from multiple central hubs that are going to work well and they're going to do you know kind of more what they need to be doing and because of that we're going to get really good service out of them too which i think is going to be uh, the more interesting thing once we get to the point where it's not like this it doesn't have to be a car but it can be a mobile meeting space or you know some kind of um prep office or something that you can use as a space for yourself other than just it gets me from A to B, but it also has like, you know, a tray in it where I can set out a, a laptop and have a meeting with a, with a partner over that time period while we're driving you know, through traffic in downtown San Francisco. Once we get to that point where we trust these vehicles enough and they're working in the right way, it's going to really change the way that we view how we interact with, uh, you know, especially downtown driving. But Again, it's not going to be that individual car is driving itself. I think it's going to be more of this kind of like transit system that is everything's interconnected. Yeah, yeah, interconnected and governed from a larger perspective. Yeah, I I look at like my own situation. We have a big van because we're seven, and we have a smaller sedan that we drive. And if we had regular access to like to, to a vehicle that could be there at a moment's notice, an autonomous vehicle, I don't know that we would need two vehicles. Like I think of all the times like I'm just driving the kids up someplace, driving the boys to their scout meeting, driving the girls to their scout meeting, driving the the kids down to the library, you know, or just running an errand to the to the the, the pharmacy. Like I could, if if we had an autonomous vehicle, I would have no problem throwing the kids in the back of the of an of a you know autonomous car that takes them to their scout meeting. Less, I'd be less concerned than putting them in the car with a stranger an Uber driver say, you know, which is kind of interesting. And that would free up life so much more. Um, I, yeah. I mean, I kind of like that idea. I still want my own van, you know, because <laughs> for one thing, they're never going to make robo taxis that are big enough for seven of us. I'm, right. just, I'm fairly certain <laughs> of that. Uh, although <laughs> Elon Musk was on Twitter not too long ago talking about uh, what that he's a big um, pro uh, natalist, advocate he's about having big families mm -hmm. he has five kids of his own i guess um he's concerned about under uh about depopulation of the planet he's got more than five but yeah yeah that's probably, well, <laughs> yes. uh, he, he but he was talking like um the things that make our society against you know families or less welcoming to families and i tweeted at him like hey as the owner of a car company you could you know make big vehicles that are so that are better for big families I don't want to have to drive a, a big, giant, full-size van, but it's the only one that is the 
between a minivan and a full size van, the full size van is what could carry us. It's all right. You'll get there, Dom. You'll get there. <laughs> we have the 12 passenger. It works. It's great. Oh, I have a Ford <laughs> Transit. It's a full size. Yeah. It's, <laughs> ours is a, a 10 passenger that, uh, yeah. That's what the bed of the Cybertruck is for. Just throw your kids in the back. <laughs> well, when I was a kid, that's what that was. You had a station wagon, like three kids in the backpack. That's what we called it, the backpack. So we're doing we're doing uh, Last Starfighter tomorrow, right? That's going to yes. be our podcast for tomorrow. We were watching the movie last night, and and they were driving around in the truck with all the kids in the back. And my six year old looked at me and goes, "That's illegal, isn't it?" <laughs> <laughs> and I said, "Yes, it is. It's also very dangerous. Don't ever do that." <laughs> yes, uh, and I remember doing it in high school and going <laughs> up to camping trips, hanging up like driving on the highway, highway speeds, sixty mm-hmm. plus miles an hour or whatever. Laying in the back of my friend's pickup truck with all our gear. Oh, my gosh. As a parent, I'm thinking, oh, my, I'm glad my mom never knew that. <laughs> <laughs> what a different world we live in. All right. Uh, that's enough of that. Let's let's move <laughs> on to discuss our uh, picks of the week. And, Jack, I'll let you go first. What is your pick this week? All right. Uh, since we were talking about uh, reusable tech and how uh, there's so much planned obsolescence with technology, and especially with headphones, because just by nature they're so small Um, my pick of the week would be a good pair of wired headphones Um, and what i would recommend are the kz uh, zsn pro they're in-ear monitors so they're good if you like um, doing music recording they're very balanced that's what i use for when we're doing these podcasts right now actually Um, but what i like about them is they have uh, user replaceable cords so the cable itself it's it's wired but you can take the cable off from the earbud so if the cable breaks you don't have to replace the whole headphones you can just buy a new cable you can also buy some that have like the little microphone thing built in um yeah and they're they're very durable and they're they're not too expensive they used to be like 25 dollars, but then i think people found out how good they were and so now they're up to around like 43 but still for a decent pair of headphones that's not bad that's pretty good. Yeah, I mean, it's that's one of the things with, with podcasting is folks don't realize is how important it is to have sound ceiling so that you're not hearing my voice coming through Jack's headphones into his microphone. It, it causes all kinds of havoc with the recording. Uh, so in, in-ear monitors are great, but they're, yeah, they used, they used to be so expensive. That's why I have, I have regular cans, uh, over-the-ear cans. Uh, but uh, these are great. I mean, I might need to uh, at some point upgrade I'm going to keep something like this in mind because an in-ear monitor is, is really nice. Uh, difference. Mm-hmm. Excellent. And yeah, 43 bucks is not bad. Yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, excellent. Uh, Thomas, what's your pick this week? So my pick this week, I, I have done a family uh, monitoring service for tech before, but uh, this one is one that now that my kids are getting older and they have their own laptops, uh, they ended up opting for going with windows laptops and i got i got connected with the microsoft family safety uh suite of technology and i have to say i have been really impressed uh they the the controls are very customizable so i don't have to lock my kids out of everything and especially with my teens i want to give them some more freedom in what they're doing 
but there's also a lot of monitoring on it on the back end. And the, I've been able to have some conversations with my 13 uh, year old about the number of hours he's spending per day playing uh, video games. <laughs> yeah. Gives me a very detailed readout of all of that information. And so, you know, I've been able to, you know, sit down with him and say, all right, so your mom wants you to be reading as much as or more than you're playing on the computer. I don't know how that works if you're sleeping for 10 hours and playing for 12. So. <laughs> you got to figure something out here. Um, so, you know, but but it's it's been really good for that. And then it also links to their Xbox account so that you can uh, adjust settings in there, whether they can join multiplayer games, whether they can communicate with friends on there, they can have friends if they can stream uh, the, inf- uh, the the games that they're playing. Uh, it's a really good, it's actually a really good suite of technology that they've, because of all the different things that Microsoft owns, there's a lot of customizability and uh, ways that you can interact with it. So I've got my four older ones who all have Minecraft accounts at this point on there. And the three older, the three oldest have also have their own laptops. So I get information back about, you know, what they're doing with their laptops. It's also really good about, um, returning search results so it if there's anything suspicious in the search results it'll it'll pop up there but it also just kind of gives you uh, an outlay of all of the different things that they've been searching for and what frequency they've been searching for them too uh so it's really good to just have the information to be able to have conversations with your kids rather than having to immediately lock them out of everything or shut everything down on them so you can install it on windows xbox and android so you can monitor mm-hmm. their devices for on on any of those um there's a free version that gives you most of the benefits, which is nice. Yeah. I really haven't run up against anything that I wanted that I felt like I needed to pay for yet. So yeah, it looks <laughs> like good. most of the paid stuff, what it gives you is this, they have a driver safety aspect to it. So it, uh, I think with their phone, it keeps track of their driving. Um, and there's a little there's extra location awareness stuff, uh, location alerts, but it also gives you um, for, for 10 bucks a month, it gives you the office suite. So you get all of the office apps, mm-hmm. which that's pretty right. good. Um, and yeah, then, it's really not a bad deal. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, cause you, you might pay that, you know, already, I guess it comes with the Microsoft 365 family. So if you already subscribe to Microsoft 365 family, which you might, um, as a homeschooling family, for instance, we, we, we do, uh, but we're all Mac here anyway, but, um, then you might already have all of these benefits. So d- definitely check it out. And you can put the monitoring software, um, on Windows, Android, and Mac or iOS. Like I don't know whether it's it's mobile app or not, but um, uh, that's pretty good. So you don't, you know, you can you can put it on whatever device you have. I like it. I like it. Um, I I want these companies to do to get better and better at this, helping parents. Um, Apple's stuff is okay. I've I, I've run into its its frustrations and and holes. At times, one of my kids discovered that you can do a Google search in Google Docs to get around the limitations <laughs> on using the browser. Yes. Nice. And there's no way to block it. No way to block it. Uh, so we had to have a, a nice conversation, which is what you have to do anyway. You have to. Yeah. You, this is not a substitute for talking to your kids. Well, and, and I will say, though, if, if you are someone who does want a little more control and you want a little more granularity and what you want to be, them to be able to do, you can shut things down. So you can say, you know, uh, these are you can you can whitelist or blacklist um, websites, apps. You can go through and, and give them hard limits on the time that they can be on the computer. Uh, so so there are actual, you know, 
stop controls that you can put on it. I, I opt not to use them because these are my older kids and I want to have the discussion with them rather than, you know, forcing hard limits. But um, it's yeah, it's it's been it's been really a good experience all around. And and like you said, I have the app on my uh, Android and it warns me every once in a while when <laughs> I, I have it set up so that it'll warn me when, when a kid goes over a certain number of hours of play or being on their computer or whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Good. Excellent. Thank you. So my pick this week is an app that is available uh, on Mac and iOS and iPad OS, and it's called Photos Revive. And it it it's, does one thing, does it well, which is it colorizes old black and white photos. Um, and I've used it for a number of actually things that I've used for um, podcasts. Uh, for American Catholic history, we often have fo- old black and white photos the, uh, that are available to use to for you know uh, episode art, but it's black and white photos are kind of blah, right? You know, if I put it as it doesn't grab the attention, so I throw them into this app and it will colorize them. It's fantastic. It's kind of a, amazing how good it is at just guessing what the right colors are for. The, you know, there's no way of knowing whether you know that that's the color of the shirt that guy was wearing when he sat for the photo, but it looks realistic. You know, it, it's it's you know it's not some bizarro color um, and you can use it just as throw a photo at it and take the photo uh, that it gives you back. But you can also with the Mac app, as opposed to the uh, iOS and iPad OS, but with the Mac app, you can adjust, you can get, you can say, okay, this is a little off from what I'm expecting here, you know, adjust this and you can, you can tweak it here and there. So it works really well. And it, you can also use it right from within the photos app. So it works as a, as an extension of photos app extension. So a really neat app. It it's, it's 20 bucks. So you, you might not, you might say, uh, you know, how often do I need to colorize old black and white photos? Well, if you have a lot of them <laughs> that, you know, from family scans and, you know, the, that sort of thing from old family photos, you might want to do that. Uh, Although you you can avoid spending the twenty bucks if you use set app like I do, which I'm always talking about, uh, which is like Netflix for software, uh, because in that's it's in the set app service, and so you for your one low cost of your monthly fee to set app and you know, all the fo- apps that are in there, you can get access to photos revived. So uh, definitely check it out, uh, see if you can. And yeah, I I really I've been I've been enjoying it. I mean I have some old family photos, and it's kind of nice to see them come alive again with with this app okay so that does it for us this time we would love to hear what you think of our discussion you can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com slash technology or the starquest facebook page at facebook.com slash starquest media or send an email to technology at sqpn.com We'd love for you to visit the StarQuest Discord community at sqpn.com slash Discord. I don't ever mention it, but we're also on Instagram at StarQuest Network. So we always post stuff there, too. So check it out. That might be another way to follow us. And you'll find links from our discussion and picks of the week on our show notes at sqpn.com. It helps us a lot. It really does. You'd be surprised how much it helps. If you read a review in Apple Podcasts or one of the podcast directories, you can give us a nice rating on Spotify, for instance. And if you share the podcast with your friends, that really helps us reach more listeners and to grow this community. I'd like to thank James for his research assistance on this episode. And until next time, Jack Barazzini, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of technology. Thanks, Tom. And Thomas Senorho, thank you as well. It's been great. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Technology on StarQuest. <laughs>